Let the word go The challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s is a pioneering program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. That looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of shared values. Sixty years later, we examine our divisions, our connections, our shared pains and successes in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Last week, we began an examination of black history, the efforts to marginalize or even eliminate it from some school curricula. This week, we're going to continue that conversation and consider why black students aren't the only ones to lose if all cultures aren't taught or learned. So I'd like to welcome, and uh, not for the first time, because we had this conversation in last week's episode, but the first time we've had two siblings on this program, and we couldn't ask for two better guests on this issue of the efforts to rewrite or eliminate Black history and what we lose as a people. So I'd like to welcome uh, Gene Cash, who has been a teacher and a principal and a coach, and he is here where I am also in Sammamish, Washington, and uh one of the beauties of Zoom is that we can bring people from diverse areas of the country or even the world as we've done. And so we have with us also uh, Dr. Kreiner Cash, who has served as superintendent of schools in a number of major uh, school districts and has been a reformer uh, that has achieved great changes on that. So uh, Kreiner and Gene, I thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Let me begin. And for those that weren't part of the conversation last week, uh, begin with, as you were immersed in your careers, what did you witness in terms of the cost of not having an adequate understanding of Black history for your students, for the public at large? And when you seek to change that, what changes did you see in your students? And whichever one of you would like to begin with that. I think Gene, uh, I think we ended with Kreiner last week. Perhaps we could begin with you on that question uh, in this week's episode. Well, personally, I think the curriculum is the key to success for all students. And a lack of curriculum is to makes students fail. Um, 50 years, no, about 60 years ago, I closed down my campus with four others because we looked at the curriculum and it was not representative of African-Americans mm -hmm. and of course, Asians and other groups, but uh, we were looking at African-Americans. And so what we did was make it real simple, go in and um, the administration building, put chains around it, told the custodians to get out and we held the building. Then six months later, we had a college of ethnic studies to enforce the curriculum that we wanted and thought that the students needed. Mm -hmm. Not only African-Americans, but white students, Asian students need to be cor corrected. And I think when you look at that, and um, and I'll just jump ahead a little bit. Right before George Floyd, I was invited to speak at the first annual Black Student Union to speak to them. And they had about 100 students there. And my thing was Black Lives Matter, but it matters all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and that was my theme. And so it wasn't because of me, but two weeks later, they went up and demanded a change in a lot of the curriculum, you know, because I told them, look at your curriculum. Are you representing to it? You're representative, but is it deep? Is it understanding? 
does it mention not just a paragraph on slavery, but why was there slavery economically? Mm-hmm. You know, who was hurt in slavery? 4,000 people were lynched. You know, are, are they talking about that? Why? What are the causes? You know, what's going to happen in the future? And so when they looked at the curriculum, they made some changes at my college. And that's the key, you know, looking at it. And, and it hurts when you're a student, like when I was a student, and you don't see yourself representative properly, or you don't see yourself representative with the suffering that had gone on in the past. Because if you don't understand the past, then mistakes will happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it should not be forgotten. Because we want students to be engaged. We want them to have critical thinking, not just read a headline you know, on what, what's going on. For instance, the book club I started at my church, which is, you know, mostly white, because my wife and I live in communities that look different than us. And there was a purpose behind that. Mm-hmm. And I'll just go through this real quickly. Some of the books that we've read and discussed, because it's important. Warmth of Many Sons, A New Jim Crow, Poverty by America, Half American, Social Justice Through Poverty, Project 1619. From slave to priest, you know, et cetera, et cetera, on those different books, because I think other cultures need to know what's inside my home, what we're studying. Mm-hmm. And 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 that and, and that does not happen. Reiner, what's been your experience with that then? Well, one of the things I want to emphasize is that everybody has a story. I've I've learned that over 45 years in my professional career. And I enjoy so much talking to people and learning what their story is. Tell your story. Everybody has a fascinating and worthwhile story. Mm-hmm. And so I became in t- attuned to wanting people, especially my students and their families, to share their stories. Because I felt that was a strategy to begin to help other people open up to them and begin to first hear and then appreciate who their students were, for example. Most of the districts I was the CEO in or the superintendent in were majority minority districts. Mm -hmm. In other words, mostly African-Americans who were poor, black and brown children also. And then my white students were the minority. But then we had 86% of our teachers were white and they were coming from different backgrounds and places, not usually the city, usually the suburbs in to teach our students. So I I knew I needed to do a whole lot with our teaching staffs and even our administrative staffs, everyone. So I put everyone through different kinds of training, for example, so that we would be able to first learn, understand, and then uh, teach better. But we had to first respect and appreciate the kids who were in front of us. And I thought if we, we, and I made a district-wide project out of developing and writing oral histories. Mm -hmm. And we found so many fascinating information and the kids were so proud and there's so many tears flowing when these kids uh, got up and and spoke not only to their teachers, but to the community, because we invited the community in to hear and listen 
and even judge some of the academic uh, projects that we were doing. We called it Think Show. So long story short, when you start to listen to people, and I've traveled all over the world, I've had the good fortune of being able to travel all over the world and speak mm -hmm. to anybody and everybody I could to see what I could learn. And when you start really listening to people and hearing people's stories, um, that to me is the connector. That's mm -hmm. the connector. That's the connector today. You know, I don't agree with ABC. Gene and I will get in trouble if we even start talking about it. But what I do want to do is I want to hear your stories. Mm -hmm. I want to sit with you and let you go first. And I want to hear your family story. I want to know where you came from, who your ancestors are. What are your pride points in your family? What are your pride points within you and yourself and, and, and your marriage and who your children are? And then let's see if there's some common, some common ground there. And I'll bet you there's more common ground. That's what I've learned anyway. Mm -hmm. Then there are these very um, vitriolic differences that, that come out because we're only listening and hearing what we want to listen mm -hmm. and hear. And it's really not even a primary source. It's usually a secondary or tertiary source. And the best sources in history, and that's why I was alluding to those great black scholars, mm -hmm. they look only mainly at primary source material mm -hmm. because that's where the story is. In the uh, episode that we did last week, we had a discussion about ancient African civilizations. We want to move next into the slavery era, and I would ask each of you to maybe offer a couple of examples of stories that came out of that era that typically get suppressed, that do not get passed on, that you think are imperative for everyone to know. I, it's really difficult to talk about it because it's close to home. Mm-hmm you know, um, to both of us. And when you look at it, you know, the economic benefit for a major part of the country, that's why it went on and on and on. And when I look at slavery, I find that other countries abolished it, before, you know, Britain, you know, before the U.S. did, quote, unquote, and then all of a sudden, the Jim Crow laws came into effect, reconstruction and all of that came into effect. But slavery broke away families. You know, it was difficult. You know, here you are with your mate or your kids and they're gone to another plantation or whoever bid the highest. You, you know, um, would do it. It, it was, it, it was a, a horrible, horrible event. And I think current, when we look at, um, I, um, we were at the March on Washington. It was for other things, but it was not safe for to abolish slavery, quote unquote, that was abolished. But when we look at slavery, I had an article 30 years ago about low wages in America. You know, is that a continuation of quote unquote slavery? I looked at redlining in housing. You know, I look at gentrification, what's going on right now? Well, African American, the central area in Seattle was 70% African American in the 70s. 
that's part of slavery. Now it's down to seven percent because of the high taxes. You know, and that's happening in across the whole nation. And so we look at slavery, of course, but it's a continuation in a in a different way. Mm-hmm. But it's slavery to me, and and it's still going on. But you have to move on with what your ideas are and continuous. Like our dad said one time, I he said to me, and I'll close. Mm-hmm. He said, "I said I can't do this." And he said, there's no such word as can't. There's no such word as can't. And I still believe that. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's right, Gene. <laughs> you know, that's right. Only do. We were taught only do. Um, well, I have maybe two points, two main points to make around, around that issue um, that I think others are maybe trying to suppress. But it, all of this is related. Mm-hmm. All of it goes back to the origin of if and the premise that if you, in fact, had a people of African origin that actually initiated and developed the first civilization mm-hmm. that was a glorious civilization, if you believe that to be true, then you also if you if you're trying to perpetuate white supremacy and white race, racism, that's that's the origin of it. Because if that's true, then all the other things you, we've learned from Greek civilization as being the first civilization mm-hmm. uh, and knowledgeable civilization, Greco-Roman civilization, on to the present time, in the 500 years of history and scholarship, mainly promulgated by white male historians, you see. Now you have a conflict. And so I don't want to be caught up in that web where we're always sort of at conflict and feeling, you know, awful and all of that kind of thing. I simply want to be about teaching what the truth is. Teach what the truth is. And if you're educated well enough with enough discipline in your content matter, then you you can scratch out and figure out and hash out what the truth is for yourself. My father never said, this is the truth, this, 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 and this. He said, you're going to have to figure that out yourself. And there's room for plenty of dialogue and discourse and disagreement within that conversation. And that's what we need to do, essentially, with all cultures, all peoples, all ethnicities. Let's sit down and scratch this out. I don't want to sit over here and argue with people who already know, you know, preaching to the choir, so to speak. I really do want to sit down with you mm-hmm. and 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 talk. And I want my kids to sit down with you. I want you to see how brilliant my kids are and, and how they will respond in debate because of the education that I've been able to give them in the places that I was leading. Great culturally responsive teaching and learning initiatives in Buffalo Public Schools. And so when when you look at the programs that we brought to Memphis and to uh, Buffalo, for example, that were designed to increase knowledge, particularly of Black history, Mm -hmm. and to be more culturally responsive to indigenous peoples, people of Hispanic origin, pan-Hispanic origin, and of course, Black and even Asian cultures which were beginning to come into our school system 
then then that was what we we were, we were trying to do. We weren't trying to exclude or trying to say that this culture or history is more important than this one. Mm-hmm. But this one absolutely has been neglected and it continues right. to be neglected and distorted and flat out um, falsehoods told about. So the notion, for example, that African-Americans and slaves who were slaves benefited in any kind of way whatsoever from mm. being slaves is outrageous. And that has to be mitigated, that has to be challenged, and that has to be uh, educated accurately and truthfully about. Mm-hmm. But at this point, you know, I'll just suffice it to say that that effort to educate staff who teach our children, to educate parents who have said to us, thank you for teaching me more about my history, because we mm-hmm. provided parent workshops and parent conferences and settings where they could learn. And then the kids who told their parents, who told me and others uh, on this, we had some wonderful, magnificently talented, magnificently talented educators teaching this curriculum. They said, my son was never so interested in school as he is now. Mm-hmm. My daughter never so interested in school as she is now. And so that up early, can't wait to get to school, can't wait to get back onto their projects, you see. And again, I could go into great detail about it and exciting examples, but this is this is what it means. We live in a pluralistic society, Jeff. Mm-hmm. We live in a the most diverse world now than we've ever lived in. There are no really much anymore pure races, 100% this, 100% that. We're integrated. So we have multiracial, biracial, uh, multi-ethnic children and people all in our school system today, all over the world today. We just crossed 8 billion in world population. Mm-hmm. There's more mixtures and admixtures than ever before. So you have to teach this because that's what makes up the schools and the, and the kids that are before you. So that that is what we were trying to do. That's the fulcrum and the momentum behind all of this is to make sure that the children have uh, books and curriculum that reflect who they are, what they know. What do white students miss out on when all they are exposed to is what we might class as white history? I think, and I'll, when you look at that, most students, and it's sad, even uh, students of color, they know who George Washington, mm-hmm. they know Ben Franklin, they know about the history of our presidents. You know, ex, you know, Obama, of course, was a person of color, but they don't know. Frederick Douglass, you know, Marcus Garvey, it, and other people like that. Years ago, I talked to Kreiner, and I did a little research on it, and he said, there's only three things to make students get together. He called it the three A's, attitude, academics, and attendance. And so this pin here, 
is from the PTSA gave to me because what I would do, I'd go to their homes. The kid wasn't at school after three days. I'm just going to go to your home. And then they'd run to school because they didn't want Mr. Cash coming to the house. <laughs> you know? But, you know, when I look at the three A's, it's impossible not to succeed. Mm -hmm. I found even with the poorest student academically, if he's at school making an effort, of course, I'd walk around, you know, because as a teacher, I never failed a student because they would be with me starting March. You know who's going to fail. They don't know this stuff because I would be with them. They're with me after school. They can't play baseball, no spring sports. After a week, they're up to par, you know, with Mr. Cash. They're up to par. And, and, and some of the kids would say, why do I have to learn this? And I would say, why do I have to learn your history? We need to learn each other's history. Mm -hmm. It's very important because you're going to be working one day for a woman, a person of color, a person of gender, of sex related, or vice versa. They're going to be working for you. So how do you have that relationship with someone who is different? So you have to be prepared to understand that relationship. And, and I would have in my cafeteria 80 different flags of all the countries their parents came from or where they were born up in the cafeteria. So they could say, oh, that's where granddad was born. That's where mom was born. You know, so they could respect that culture. And I would say to the students that you don't have to go to the pizza party on Saturday with each other. But while we're in this environment, we're going to learn to respect each other. So as you get older, you might invite that person to their house. Mm -hmm. Because I know my wife growing up in Renton, the largest high school in the state, um, it's changed in color, but she was the only, um, growing up, the only black in her classes, you know, growing up, but her dad had five acres. And she said she felt disappointed. She never got invited to a party, never went to the prom, mm. you know, and things like that. And times have changed, as Kreiner was saying, the cultures are moving all over. And so we must respect that culture. But we have to fight back and we have to have action. You know, we have to have we have to have action in doing. Well, to tie this to this whole theme here about black history and what happens when you don't uh, learn the full uh, scale of your history, um, what what are the impacts of that? Uh, they're significant. There's significant, significant impact. And so what you have to do is uh, you do have to be very intentional. And what some have been, what efforts have been made to ignore that, to erase that, to distort that is because of who has written and who's been in charge of these curriculum mm -hmm. content. The curriculum content. So when, when a white child or a white person says, and I believe he says it with all intent and seriousness, well, what about white history? Well, that's all we're learning. That is all we have learned for the past 500 years. It has been written mostly by white males, but largely by white people, whether mm -hmm. from Italy or uh, France or, or you know, Ireland or England or wherever the European uh, histories and ethnicities link to, those folks have, have controlled the curriculum, the knowledge dissemination in mm -hmm. all of the social sciences, in mathematics, in history, in science, in technology now. 
when you learn art, what art are you learning about? When you, when you take music class in school, what music are you singing about and learning about? So I don't understand what about the what about white history question. It is the undergirding curriculum in pre-K to 12 education, in mm-hmm. higher education, graduate education. It's everywhere. And so we, what we're simply trying to do is include do a little salt and pepper and shake some of what these other cultures and ethnicities that live in this great country um, and have built this country and have helped it be prosperous today. Mm-hmm. Let us have some space in the curriculum where you can also learn authentically about us as well. That's what's being requested. And I think that's a fair request. And that expands our sense of not only who we are, but also what we can be. That's one of the benefits of travel. And essentially, we're traveling through the classroom. That's right. Uh, This has been just such a rich conversation. And I thank you both so very much uh, about this. And uh, we related this also to the issue of what's available in terms of histories and books And so we're very fortunate that both Gene and Kreiner are going to be part of our next challenge episode, and that is dealing with this issue of book bans. But right now in uh, these two episodes we've done on recovering erased histories, uh, I just say thank you so much, Gene, and thank you so much, Kreiner. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Jeff. So to all of you that are watching or listening, we hope you'll join us again next week on the next episode of Challenge 2.0, where you'll be uh, treated to more conversation with both of these gentlemen. Thank you again. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.